In Genesis chapter 46 is where we're going to be starting. You know, one of the phrases that Christians say, they say that God is faithful. I'd imagine you've said that at different times. Uh, you need to know that, like the unbelievers, when you say God is faithful, they're like, what, what does that mean? You know, I mean, that, that God faithful, what does that mean? How do you know that? What does that look like? And what does that have any difference in your life? And as Christians, we, we, get, we get very comfortable in saying that, but do you know what that means? If someone turned around and said, hey, listen, what does it mean that God is faithful? How do you really know? How, how do we respond to that? You see, we need to know the answer to that question because foundational to the holy character of God is that he is faithful and that he can be trusted. In fact, God desires that his people walk by faith and your faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. And as believers in Christ, we place our faith in the living God. And when we talk about God is faithful, it's got to be crystal clear in our mind what we mean by that. And that is why Genesis chapter 46, moving into the first part of chapter 47, is such an amazing part of scriptures. Because once again, it reinforces the truths of how we know and why we know that God indeed is faithful. And as you've been with us, we've been kind of going through the life of Joseph, just kind of moving our way through Genesis. And really, Joseph is not a rags to riches kind of story, like, oh, he was really down, and now he's got all these great things going. Really, the story of Joseph is really the story about how God created a nation of blessing out of a very troubled family. If you want a testimony of God's grace, just look at how he worked through Joseph and his family. And you remember that it was through some extremely difficult circumstances. There is deceit. Jealousy, favoritism, hatred. These all ended up where Joseph ends up being sold off as a slave. And after serving as a slave for a while, then he's falsely accused of rape. He ends up in prison. He spends his 20s in prison. And then through an amazing series of events where you see the sovereign hand of God, Joseph is as raised from a prisoner on one day. And in that same day, God elevates him to a point where he becomes prime minister through an amazing scene where he actually interprets a dream, a couple dreams that Pharaoh has. And it's also then through hardship that God brings about and starts this process of reconciling a family that has been fragmented and living in lies. And it's through the, and the hardship is famine. You know, we, no one likes difficulties and hardship. We face some. Some of you are going through some difficulties right now. Sometimes God does his greatest and most amazing work through difficulties and hardship. And that is exactly what takes place with this worldwide famine that is occurring. Joseph's family still back up in the land of Canaan. They're sojourners. They are feeling the heat of having no food, nothing to feed their animals, nothing to feed themselves. The brothers go down and they actually encounter their brother, Joseph. Joseph has 11 brothers. They come down. They actually see him. They don't recognize him because he is now the prime minister of Egypt. And it's been a long time since they've seen him. He's all shaved down because the Egyptians hate body hair. Uh, Pharaoh had given, given Joseph a new name, Zaphonath Paneah. It speaks, God lives and speaks. He speaks Egyptian. He looks Egyptian. He's got power. He's got a royal chariot. He is the real deal. And the, these sojourners, the, these, these Hebrew boys, that they come, and when they encounter Joseph, they do not recognize that indeed he's his brother. But Joseph 
recognizes them. And he puts them through a series of tests to find out if their heart has really changed toward their father, toward his, his full brother, Benjamin, who's the youngest brother in the family, and especially toward God. And they do. In fact, through these series of tests of events, they show once again that they see themselves now in the hand of God. They have great regret over what they did to their brother. In fact, they said, now God's going to punish us for what we did to him. And, at, and, and right before Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, Judah, he actually volunteers, take my life and turn me into a slave, but spare Benjamin. They had come full circle. They are now completely different men. And it's at that time that Joseph then reveals himself to his brothers. There is this great scene of shock. They can't imagine what is happening. He says, listen, I want you to go down and I want you to bring dad here because there's five more years of this famine. I want you to go down there. He sends up with a bunch of donkeys. It's the Egyptian moving company and they bring all that stuff down there. He says, just leave all your junk here. We got everything. The best of the land is for you. Come on. I want to take care of you. And so that is where we pick it up here. At the end of chapter 45, Israel at first couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it when he heard that Joseph was alive because he had been living alive for 22 years. These boys had fed him this line that he's dead because some wild animals ate him. And now they had to come clean. And dad, we're just big liars and we deceived you. He's alive. Joseph is alive. He's, his, it's liter- it says literally in the Hebrew, his heart went numb. He's like, he went into like shock. What do you... What? How could that possibly be? And then he sees all these donkeys coming and all these wagons and he realizes these guys are not feeding me a line. I believe they actually came clean and they confessed to him. Israel, Jacob's name that, that God gave him, Israel said, verse 28 in chapter 45, it is enough. My son Joseph is still alive and I will go and I will see him before I die. And so we find it in chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, he sets out with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, there's some things taking place here that I want to I bring to your attention. So he's setting off, and he comes to Beersheba. And this is, this is like, well, it's just some weird Hebrew name, just kind of maybe a little stop on the road. Uh, no, this, this is not a little stop along the road. This is kind of like home base for him. Abraham, his grandfather, great-grandfather, had, his grandfather had spent time there living. In fact, remember the scene where he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac? God actually appears to him at Beersheba. And that word Beer, it means, okay, if you're like, what, what's that? That means well. Well at Sheba, okay? And so then, but then, and then Abraham lives there. Isaac lives there. God actually appears to Isaac in Beersheba. And then, uh, this is, remember when they have that little family calamity where Joseph tries to, de- I mean, Jacob tries to deceive his brother out of the birthright? Well, you know where he flees from? He flees from Beersheba. And so he's going there, and, and there's something else that you need to know. He said, all right, we're going to go down to Egypt. And he proceeds, and he makes that decision. He goes forth, but he's gone, he's got a whole week thinking about this. He's collected all his junk. He's got his family. He's got, he's got at least a hundred people. They've got their flocks, their herds. They're not going to leave them to starve to death. They're making their way. But there's things that are going through his mind that if you've read the book of Genesis, you know that he's got to be thinking about. He's got to be thinking about when Abraham went to Egypt. How did that turn out? Terrible. It was a terrible experience. And he had to be thinking about when his dad, Isaac, 
they're experiencing a famine. Isaac goes, man, there's no food around here. And he starts moving, goes to the land of Philistines. He's making his way down to Egypt. And God says, no, do not go down there. I'll take care of you. I'll make you a great nation. But don't go down there. Well, guess what? Here goes Jacob. He's got all his wagons. They're making their way. He's going to Egypt. He's going, Egypt has always been bad. And last time when dad tried this, God said, don't go down there. I know what I'm going to do. When I get to home base, this is about a week's worth of, week's worth of travel from where he started. It's kind of at the, at the bottom of the Canaanite country. This is kind of like the last place before you leave what you call familiar. He says, I'm going to make some sacrifices and I'm going to worship God and I'm going to approach him. And I'm going to ask him, what do you want? Give me guidance. Help me. What should I do? Because I know that you have promised to Abraham, Isaac, and to me that this land that I'm leaving is the promised land and that somehow you're going to work it out that my descendants, they live here and we'll be a great nation, we'll be a blessing, and we will, we will have this land and I'm pulling out and I'm taking everything with me. How does that work? God, help me. And so he comes to Beersheba and that's what he does. You see that in verse 1? He offers sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Sacrifices to Yahweh, to Elohim, to the living God. And we see that God is tremendously faithful. We see that God is actually going to guide him with his word. That's one of the ways that we know that God is faithful. He guides his people with his word. Look at verse 2. Then God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. On several different occasions, God had appeared to Jacob. And at this time, a time of great need in his life. A need where he was so afraid, God speaks to him. God gives his word. He says, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For this is the first time it's revealed in Scripture that it's in Egypt that God is going to make a great nation out of Israel. You know, God had told Abraham, listen, you're, going to, you're actually going to go into a foreign land for some period of time, and I will eventually judge those foreigners. They knew that much. They knew that because God had revealed it. They never knew that it was going to be in Egypt. You see, Egypt is going to serve like a womb. And inside that womb is going to be the nation of Israel. And right now, they're all pulling out. That nation has already started. They're going to go into Egypt. And we know, we know from looking back, well, they're going to be there for about 400, about 430 years. And they're going to turn into a massive nation. You see, there were problems living in Canaan. You see, in Canaan, who was influencing who? Was, was Jacob and his family having a positive influence in sharing the love and the light of God to the people in Canaan? Or was the, were the Canaanites getting them to buy into all their perverted practices? What was going on? Who was influencing who? Uh, Jacob's family wasn't doing too good. And God pulled them out. He's going to take them to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians... They hate sojourners. In fact, you're going to find some other things that the Egyptians totally dislike and give them the heebie-jeebies, and these people have got it, and we're going to stay tuned and find out what that is. He says, all right, 
I'm supposed to go down there. You see, God gave his word. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to be with you. And the people of Israel, when they wondered, how in the world did we end up here in Egypt? Did we make a bad decision? Is this one of those times where our forefathers were once again just doing life on their own and they made the move without consulting God? No. God guided them and took them down to Egypt. You see, just like God took Joseph down to Egypt, he did so through the evil actions of his brothers and he, he took Joseph to a place of prominence and greatness. So that is what God is going to do. He's going to take Israel down with his family. Eventually they'll become slaves. But they will turn into a great nation from which the entire world will be blessed through a Messiah that will come to that family line. So God guided Jacob into Egypt. Let me tell you another way that we see God's faithfulness. Not only does God guide us with his word, but I, you may have missed this, but I want to highlight this in verse 4. He gives us his presence. Look at verse 4. This is key. I will go down with you to Egypt. And I also will surely bring you up again. I will do it. You see, that is a theme that you find in the book of Genesis. God speaks to like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. He says, I am with you. You don't need to be afraid. I'm with you. It doesn't really even matter where you live. I will be with you. And there's something else that's occurring here. The thought is among all the pagans is that your God is pretty much only good in your country. Okay? You live in Egypt. There's these Egyptian gods. And your God is only as good as, as, you, as long as you're in that territory. You leave there and, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But that's not who the one true God is. He's the God who's sovereign over all the world, over all the universe. And whether you're in the land of Canaan or the land of Egypt, God says, I will be with you. You have nothing to fear. And he actually tells them, he tells them this. He, God actually uses Joseph's name in verse 4. He says, and Joseph will close your eyes. And what this uh, refers to is that when a person died, usually it was the eldest son. And he would take the, his father's eyes and he would just shut those eyelids. And it was like the closing of a life. And it was an honored position for this son to do it. And usually it would be the firstborn, but he, in this case he says, and Joseph, Joseph, he's alive. He's going to close your eyes. And he says, you know what, I'm, even, I'm going to, I will surely bring you back up again. And this is not so much meaning that he'll bring his body, his corpse, when he dies, which indeed actually happens at the end of Genesis. But you need to understand how Israel and how the Hebrew people fought. They considered... This is actually, they considered their ancestors and the living as all one entity. They were one unit. It was a great living organism with a common destiny. And so rather than just the fact that you're going to return with your descendants, he's like, he's saying, I will bring you back, your people, you, Israel. Even today, there's a country, Israel. You know who it's named after? This guy. And God said, I will bring you back. And so he's got the promise that God will be with him. You know, friends, that's all we need, isn't it? If we know that God is with us, then who could be against us? It doesn't matter the hardships or the difficulties we face or the unknowns in our life. Just knowing that God's with us is enough. It was enough for Jacob. And what we're seeing here is, is God's faithfulness. We see it that he's guiding him in his, with his word. We see it that he's giving his presence. I will be with you. And then the rest of this section 
shows that he is faithful by granting us his grace. He is showing us that God is going to provide riches that you did not deserve as a result of relationship with him. And so having had this experience, God appears to him. He gives his word. He gives his promise. I will be with you. Jacob wakes up and he is like a new man. He says, says verse 5, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, home base, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. Can't you just see? He just kind of gets back. They carry him. They put him in that wagon. All these wagons, all these people, and they're making their way to Egypt. Verse 6, they took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Every single one. And then beginning in verse 8, all the way down through verse 27, you're going to have a listing. You're going to have a, a kind of a, a record of all the people that came. And this serves a, a purpose to show you that not a single person was left to hold the fort in, up in the promised land. He didn't leave like, okay, well, I'm going to take most of you, but you guys here, I'm going to leave you here. You kind of watch the home base here, and eventually we're going to pack. No, he takes them all. And it actually serves as a record for the proof that God indeed, who promised that I'm going to make a nation out of you, Abraham, that promise has been fulfilled. You see, the people that would originally hear this and read this, they go, wow, God is faithful. Genesis 12, he promises a great nation, and it started and in fact, he lists them all. He lists these people. It starts with the, their birth mom in order. And then he actually lists all the people that came from the, in that particular line there. And we'll just kind of skip through that. But he lists them all. And so he gives a summary. In verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob. Now, that's not counting Jacob. Who came to Egypt. Verse 26, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And then a following summary statement in verse 27. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt, were two. Okay, so Joseph had two boys. Remember their names? Manasseh, Ephraim. Manasseh, forgetful, Ephraim, fruitful. Great names for boys. Those two boys, they're going down there. And then he says, and all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. When you count Jacob, Joseph, and his two boys, you add that to the 66 that are making their pilgrimage down there, you've got 70. And this would just be this great reminder. Wow. Our God is faithful. Well, they're going down for a purpose. Verse 28, every time that wheel turns, they're a little bit closer to Egypt. They're making their trek. And finally, they're getting somewhat close to the proximity of the Goshen, the very upper part of Egypt. Judah then is sent out. Look at verse 28. Now, he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. This, This should have been Reuben. But Reuben made a disastrous decision. In fact, it's recorded in Scripture that he actually had an incestuous relationship with one of Jacob's wives. He just kind of falls off the scene. He loses his preeminent top spot. And although Judah was excessively wicked, you just have to read about it in Genesis 38, there obviously was a great turnaround in this man's life. You know, it tells us it doesn't matter how bad you have been. When you are trusting God and God does his work in your life, you can have a completely different future. Judah's that man. Judah is, the, Judah is given this commission by his dad. I want you to go ahead. I want you to go and point the way. Get it ready. 
Well, Joseph certainly, as the prime minister of Egypt, he had his scouts out. You always are watching in case there's some sort of invasion. He knew that he had extended the invitation. He was expecting his family. Those scouts bring a message. Man, there's one rough, tough group of people coming here, man. I don't know. It's Hillbilly Deluxe, but they're coming. They got wagons. It looks like the Oregon Trail when they're going to Egypt. They're lost. I don't know, but they're coming. Joseph goes, that's my family. All right. And verse 29, he's, Joseph prepares his chariot. He didn't have his servants do it, man. It's, it's just like there's something like just kind of getting ready. Getting ready for maybe one of the most significant events of your life. He's getting ready to meet and see his dad, who he hasn't seen in 22 years. He does it himself. He prepares his chariot. He, and he went up to the Goshen. Okay, that's that upper part of Egypt there, right where the Nile kind of flows in that delta. He goes up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And as soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. That word appeared, it, it speaks to the fact that he shows up with grandeur. He didn't just show up on some little donkey. Man, this was a display of power, of preeminence. And he shows up and he sees his dad. And you could just see that reunion. Here's his dad, and he's old. He's 130. And he's like, Dad! And you can see his father rising up. He's been sitting in that cart. He rises up, and he comes, and they, they bring him down. They set him down. And they just embrace And Joseph, Jacob, just crying, and they're weeping. And he's like, you're a, you're a man. You've, you've got sons. You have a wife. I, I've got to meet them. I have missed you so much. I, I love you. You can see them and they're crying and they're weeping. This is, this is the greatest day of our lives. We're together again. I thought you were dead and you're alive. They're just, they're just overwhelmed. The scriptures, I just, they just say they just wept on their neck, each other's neck, for a long time. And verse 30, then Israel said to Joseph, You know what? I can die now. Now let me die. Since I have seen your face, that you, you're still alive. Everything I've always hoped for, everything I've wanted, has been fulfilled. And seeing your face is enough. Well, for jo- Jacob, Israel, felt like there's nothing more left to do. But Joseph knows that God had sent him to Egypt to preserve life, especially to preserve his family's life. And although this is a fantastic day, Joseph knows it is time for leadership to step up. This is not going to be quite as easy as we we think. We have got to get you official acceptance, all of you, and we've got to get you settled. I need to preserve your life. And so Joseph's leadership skills, he understands the culture, he's got authority, he's got skill, he can read people, he understands the customs of the land in which he is in, he knows how to deal with Pharaoh, who is the key guy in the world at this point. He knows how to deal with him. He's not intimidated by power, and he knows that he has got to step up and he has got to lead well in this moment. And so we see here that Joseph then says to his brothers, look at verse 31, Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, okay, he says, listen, and I'm sure they were just like, okay, whatever you say, we're listening. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I, and very, listen very carefully to what he says, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and I will say to him, 
my brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. I'm going to say this. And notice what else he says. Verse 32. And the men are shepherds. You let me tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds. Why is that a big deal? Hold on. For they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And verse 33, and when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? He's going to ask. He, now listen, this is what you're supposed to say. Verse 34, you shall say your servants. Okay, make it clear. You're not coming here to invade like you have the power to do it. Just say we are your servants. Okay, and we have been keepers of livestock. Don't say that you're shepherds. Just say that you're keepers of livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. Okay, that's that real fertile land, that 900 square mile place right there at the delta of the Nile. He says, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now this, Joseph is smart. What he wants to do is, first of all, he says, I will tell them that you're shepherds. Okay, when, when Pharaoh hears the word shepherd, they despise sheep and sheep herders. It's like the equivalent of taking your fingernails and dragging down the chalkboard. When you say that, so he doesn't like to hear about shepherds. Now, they were into cattle, okay? Um, they were good Texans. They were li- these Egyptian pharaohs were living the Texas dream. Uh, they had thousands of head of cattle. In fact, Ramses III, they found in the records that he had like 3,600 3, guys just watching over his herds of cattle, okay? That's a lot of dudes at the dude ranch, all right, to watch all the cattle. And, and livestock, cows are cool. That's fine, all right? Sheep, they don't work. So don't say it. Don't say shepherd. Don't say it. It'll make him, it'll make him upset. Who knows what will happen? But I'm, Joseph's smart, he says, but I'm going to make Pharaoh understand that the Dukes of Hazard have arrived in Egypt, okay? I'll tell him that you're shepherds, okay? And... You know, and I'll, I'll paint the picture, and also paint the picture that you're in the Goshen, the place where that's where you want to have your livestock, and that's where they kept it, because that's where all the flooding occurred, and that's where the green grass is, and you're kind of right where you need to be. And furthermore, if he kind of gets the idea that you are a bunch of really serious country bumpkins that don't really know what's going on, he doesn't, he's not going to like you. In fact, he might even hate you, which works to our advantage, because he'll give us... I want you to put on the fringe of my empire. I'll put you at the Goshen, okay? And you'll be a long ways from Egyptian sophistication in their big city life. That's what Joseph is doing. He's smart. Now, there's something else you need to know just about the Goshen there. Okay, that land, yes, very fertile. But it was also the place that would be the first place that there was ever an invasion of Egypt to take place. It always starts there, okay? Any invasion would start up there at the very top of the empire. We want to give the idea to, to Pharaoh, you want these boys as far away from you as possible. And so that's what you do. I, he, keep, he gives them, he says, I've told you what to say. You tell them you're a servant. You keep livestock. Everything is going to be really cool. All right? Game time. How are we going to do? How are the boys' memories? How are, what's going to happen here? Well, verse 1, chapter 47. Then Joseph went in and he told Pharaoh. Okay? And he said... My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they're in the land of Goshen. They are right where they need to be. A long ways away from you. They won't bug you. And he tells them they're sheepherders. They've got their flocks with them. Okay? 
Well, then, this is really interesting. You might just kind of gloss over this, but verse 2, he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Now, why did he do that? Why did he take five? Why didn't why don't you take the other 11? I mean, this is a big deal, and present them before Pharaoh. No, he picks five. Now, there's, there's one of two things that are happening here. He either picks the best five of the brothers, okay? The sharpest. They may be the ones that are the most bald, you know, because like the Egyptians despise hair and like, okay, you've lost all your hair, you'll be perfect. Or maybe they're the same. I mean, a lot of bald guys are really sharp, you know, and so maybe he picked those, okay? The Egyptians, they despise hair. We're going to take you five, and he picks the very best five that he thinks will give the best impression to Pharaoh. Or, Or he picks the worst five, the ones that are going to give Pharaoh the impression that the Beverly Hillbillies have arrived, okay? He may be picking the ones that are just terrible, you know what I mean? They don't have any manners, they're always blowing their nose in that red hanky and wiping on each other, and they're just, they're just rude, and they just don't have any manners. And he might pick the ones that he feels are going to so disturb Pharaoh that he's like, oh my goodness, I want these guys out of here. I mean, the Clampets have arrived, okay? I want, I want them out of here. I don't even want them near me. And, you know, maybe he even coached him up. He said, like, Reuben, you know those sweatpants that you wear that have all those big stains all over them? Put them on. Put them on. Put them on. That's right. And Levi, I want you to take all those sunflower seeds. I want you to, I want you to mouth is filled with them. And you just be spitting sunflower seeds everywhere you go when you meet Pharaoh, okay? And he's going to get the picture. I want you boys coming in with the boom box with Conway Twitty and Hank Williams Jr. Crank it, okay? Let him know that you spend half your income on fireworks. Just let him know these things, okay? And, and he's going to go... <laughs> you know, and let him know that you're excited about being his neighbor. And he's going to go, no way. Yeehaw! No. You do that. You show him your hillbilly deluxe show. He's going to want to get as far away as, from you as possible. I don't know which five. I have a feeling, though, he probably picked the worst five. And then verse three. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, oh, Joseph's good. He knows exactly what Pharaoh's going to say. What is your occupation? Remember? Oh, they practiced this, right? Got clear instruction what to do. And so they said to Pharaoh. You, you, you imagine, you know that they're doing this. Shepherd, shepherd, don't say shepherd. Shepherd, shepherd, don't say shepherd. So they don't want to say that word, right? Because that's going to just make Pharaoh come unglued. What do they say? Pharaoh asked the question. So they said to Pharaoh, your servants, got that part right, are shepherds. Ah, both we and our fathers, we're shepherds. Oh, in fact, in the Hebrew, it's even better. The very first words out of their mouth, shepherds. That's what they say. They say shepherds, we are servants, your servants. Oh, they, oh man, it's like they were thinking about that word. They're so fixated on what not to say that what do they do? They said shepherds. Oh, my goodness. And, I mean, they are totally off script at this point, right? Can you imagine Joseph? He's standing there. And he's like, this is unbelievable. This can't be happening. Someone pinched me. No, where did these guys come from? We're shepherds. Okay, they tell him this. Hey, Pharaoh's got to be, oh. And, they'll, and now, now they're totally off script. Wait, they take over. Wait, they're, they're going to run with this. They didn't quite get the message. Not only did they tell them we're shepherds, our dads are shepherds, we've always been shepherds. Look at verse 4. Then they said to Pharaoh, and hey, guess what? We've come to sojourn in the land. Aren't you glad to see us? And for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore... 
please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. They weren't supposed to say that. They wanted, jo- they wanted Pharaoh to come to that conclusion. They're like, you know what? We saw some really good land. It's called the Goshen. We'd like to live there. What do you think? Okay, they're totally off script at this point. They're not supposed to be saying these things. And then Pharaoh, look at this, verse 5. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, well, I see that your father and your brothers have come to you. Okay, you can just see him like going, they're here, huh? A little bit more than I bargained for. All right, so he's got them there. Your father and your brothers have come to you. How's Pharaoh going to respond to this? Okay, now, Pharaoh thinks that he's a god. Remember that? All right, he's got his own jail. But Pharaoh does whatever he wants. Uh, these boys are totally off script. They're just plundering in there. Hey, how about the Goshen? Well, we'll like they live there. Is Pharaoh going to say, no, you know what? I think I'm going to put you to work in my granaries. Uh, what is, how's he going to respond? You know how Pharaoh responds? He responds with grace. He responds in such a way that it's only God that could do this because God is faithful. And despite the fact that the brothers completely botched their speech, verse 6, the land, this is what Pharaoh says, the land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And then he says this. This is really interesting. If you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. I don't know if he's questioning like, well, these guys probably aren't too capable. But if you know of any, Joseph, guess what? They can have royal positions. They can actually be in charge of my livestock. I mean... If there's anybody that's halfway responsible in your family, I'm not sure if these boys are it, but if you can find some, they've got royal positions. They would be protected. This is amazing. You can have it. Whoa. I'll tell you what. This is grace upon grace. And then here is an amazing scene. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, finally, after this scene takes place, Pharaoh says, okay, I get the picture. These boys don't have all the things working. They're not the sharpest tools in the shed. Okay, I'll tell you what. You can live in the land of Goshen. And then Joseph brings his dad in. He brings in dad. Dad's 130 years old. And do you see what happens when he brings him in? Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. You see, Jacob is God's man. And, and, it's, and it's possible, very possible, that he just he praised Pharaoh for his goodness to his family, and especially to Joseph. But it's likely much more than that. It's likely that he prayed for him, that he would receive the blessing of knowing the one true God. You see, Jacob could see that, like, oh, this guy's got everything, right? But he's got one thing that, he doesn't have one thing that I have. And that is relationship with the one true living God. This guy thinks he's God. That's got to be a lot of pressure on someone running around thinking that. I'm going to pray for him. And he does. You see, should be Pharaoh kind of pray, blessing Jacob. No, no, Jacob is God's man. He's not intimidated by power. He says, I'm going to pray for you. And so he does. And he, he blesses them. And then, verse 8, Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? This is, a, this is really... Uh, an amazing question because this is just a question that only guys would ask, okay? Only guys ask like, hey, how old are you? You look old. Or and the other question that guys ask are like, 
how much do you weigh? You look like you've been putting on weight. Okay, just want here's a clue for some of you. You never ask gals this question, okay? You don't ask them how old they are or how much they weigh. Uh-uh, don't do that. But guys, they do that. You know, you're like, man, you look like you've been putting on some weight. Yeah, I'm 375, been hitting the brisket and the bluebell really. Really? Yeah. Makes me hungry even thinking about it. Let's eat, you know? And, or they'll, they're like, man, you look old. You look like 100. Well, I'm only 50. That's been a hard life. But thank you. But, okay, guys do that. I mean, yesterday... I was at a little picnic barbecue thing, and all of a sudden, the subject of weight came back on. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a guy thing. Gals, they don't do that, and guys never ask them that question. This is a totally a guy's conversation. Pharaoh goes, how old are you? Verse 8. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, years of my sojourning are 130. Few. Okay? Because his, his father had lived to 180. Abraham, 175. He said, few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years of my father's lived uh, that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning and Jacob then blessed Pharaoh and went out from his pleasant presence you see Jacob he is not necessarily so impressed by power that he will not be God's man in any situation you know powerful people need to know the living God just like anybody else it doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates or Donald Trump you're the king of Saudi Arabia or the president of the United States God's people need to show up in their lives and pray for them. And, and I want to challenge you to be like Jacob. Don't be so afraid of people like, oh, they're going to be, they might think weird of me if I ask, hey, can I, can I just pray for you? And you're like, well, I might sweat if I do that. Like, that's a big deal. That's what we have deodorant for. You know what? We want to be God's men and God's women. Not intimidated by folks. You know, if you ever get the opportunity to meet Bill Gates, you know, like if you show up at Bill Gates' office, he gives you five minutes, I'm sure he'd say, hey, what do you want? Everybody wants something? What do you want from me? Don't say, you know what? Don't say, oh, I want this. Say, the only thing I want from you is that I want the opportunity to pray for you. I want to represent you before God. Is there something that I can pray for you for? That's the kind of guy that Jacob is. So Jacob then, he blesses Pharaoh, and he went out from his presence. And so... We see God's faithfulness once again. Verse 11. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. God, once again, is faithful and he provides. And this is what I want you to know from this, friends. This is recorded so that we will know that God is faithful. And from this family comes Jesus the Messiah. And God has given us his son so that we might experience the fullness of his faithfulness. You see, knowing that God is faithful enables us to walk by faith. God has given us Christ. That's why Paul said, like when he began his, his treatise to the book of Ro- in the book of Romans, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, but the righteous man or the righteous person shall live by faith. You see, God wants his people living with faith in him. And he is faithful and our faith is in him and he wants us to trust him. He has called us into fellowship with his son. And think of it. Let me just review. You remember how God has demonstrated his faithfulness? He guided them with his word. You know what? God has given us this. His word is meant to direct our lives in every circumstance. To direct us. To give us guidance. How we should respond to things. 
He also has given us His presence. God gives His Holy Spirit to all who believe in Him. He dwells in us. Jesus said, I will be with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And God grants us grace upon grace. Think about how blessed you are. These aren't the things that you've manufactured on your own, your home, your car, your relationship with others, your relationship with God. These are the gifts of God's grace. And what God wants us to do is to know that He's faithful. And by knowing that He's faithful, we can walk by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this amazing passage. How you have once again in your scriptures revealed that you are faithful and that you can be trusted. You love us and you are there for us. You have given us your word, your presence, and you have given us grace beyond measure. So, Lord, help us to trust you in the difficult times and in the good ones. In the times of the unknown, in the times where we sense that great certainty. But in all things, Lord... We want to find our faith in you so that we might walk faithfully before you and bring you great glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.